Hechos capítulo 2, versículos 1 a 13. El día de Pentecostés, todos los creyentes estaban reunidos en un mismo lugar. De repente se oyó un ruido desde el cielo parecido al estruendo de un viento fuerte y impetuoso que llenó la casa donde estaban sentados. Luego, algo parecido a unas llamas o lenguas de fuego aparecieron y se posaron sobre cada uno de ellos. Y todos los presentes fueron llenos del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en otros idiomas conforme el Espíritu Santo les daba esa capacidad. En esa ocasión había judíos devotos de todas las naciones que vivían en Jerusalén. Cuando oyeron el fuerte ruido, todos llegaron corriendo y quedaron desconcertados al escuchar sus propios idiomas hablados por los creyentes. Estaban totalmente asombrados. ¿Cómo puede ser? exclamaban. Todas estas personas son de Galilea y aún así las oímos hablar en nuestra lengua materna. Aquí estamos nosotros, partos, medos, elamitas, gente de Mesopotamia, Judea, Capadocía, Ponto, de la provincia de Asia, de Frigia, Panfilia, Egipto y de las áreas de Libia alrededor de Sirene, visitantes de Roma, tanto judíos como convertidos al judaísmo, cretenses y árabes, y todos oímos a esta gente hablar en nuestro propio idioma acerca de las cosas maravillosas que Dios ha hecho. Quedaron ahí maravillados y perplejos. ¿Qué querrá decir esto? Se preguntaban unos a otros. Pero otros entre la multitud se burlaban de ellos diciendo, solo están borrachos. Eso es todo. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father of every nation that calls upon your son Jesus Christ, we thank you for saving us. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Illuminate our understanding. We want to understand and know you, not just get information, but be in deep relationship with the living God so that we're formed as children of God. Help us, Lord, uh, to, to serve you and worship you well in this moment. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love it. Thank you for reading, Priscilla. That was wonderful. Um, so we've just begun a series in the book of Acts. Last week, we started it, and we'll be camping out in this book all year, inviting the Holy Spirit to help us follow in the footsteps of the early church in our time. So uh, to get us rolling, I love how Tim Mackey, founder of the Bible Project, he sums up Acts. Here's the big idea of the book of Acts. You have it here. There it is. The big idea of Acts Here it is. The good news of the risen King Jesus leads to the formation of communities where individuals from various backgrounds are treated with equality as they pledge their allegiance to Jesus and living, live according to his teachings. That is the big idea of Acts, and the Holy Spirit empowers that to be true, both then and now. And, and so, so this is the heartbeat of Acts, and we want it to be our heartbeat. And we're not perfect in this. Park Hill Church, is, we're a messy bunch of people on a journey, and we all stumble together toward that, where people are treated equally and fairly as we all submit to the way of Jesus together. This is a messy place, <laughs> and yet we have the power of the Spirit to help us forgive each other as we keep walking together. So under that big idea, we can kind of divide the book of Acts into five parts. So this is just FYI, keep this in the back of your mind. Um, here's, here's the five parts of Acts. Acts 1 
is one part. We did it. We finished part one of five last week in one week. So we're moving. In part one, Jesus commissions his disciples, ascends to the Father, promises a spirit. And then part two is those six chapters, two through seven, Pentecost in Jerusalem and the church is born, okay? And then part three, chapters eight through 12, uh, Jesus goes like viral, he goes international, okay? And then Acts 13 through 20, the mission to Israel, we start seeing it and we see how it clashes with pagan Rome. There's a lot of conflict, resistance. And then finally, the last part, you see the fruit of resistance and Paul is arrested in Rome and he's imprisoned, arrested in Jerusalem and imprisoned in Rome. And uh, yeah, so that's the five major parts of Acts. Part one is done and we step into part two today where things really get moving. We're about to witness the moment when the Holy Spirit first comes to fuel the engine of the church for God's mission in the world. And we are, we are ripples in this giant ocean where the rock of the Holy Spirit plopped into chapter two. So, so we are the effect of this moment um, as a church today. So to get us started, here we go. I want to take you back in time. So some of you uh, won't remember the time I'm about to take you back to. Uh, but this, so this might be quite disorienting for you. Uh, a long, long time ago, there was a time that if you wanted to like talk to someone who was not in your house, you had to like walk to a particular contraption in your house, and and it was. Do any of you remember this? Sometimes this contraption would be literally screwed into the wall in like the most trafficked area of your house, like the busiest kitchen hallway or something. And so there's no privacy to talk to someone outside of your house from this device. Uh, I'm talking about, here, here's the picture, the home phone, okay? That is the home phone. I actually had that exact phone in the 90s in my room. My parents, when we moved from Orange County to San Diego, I was sad. All my friends were in Orange County, and there were no such thing as cell phones in my brain, so they graciously gave me a consolation prize. It was a bedroom phone line. Everyone over 40 just went, awesome, that's amazing. Do you remember, like, I have a phone in my room. You remember that? Okay, some of you guys are not remembering that. You're very young. You're very young people. So I had a landline in my room, uh, so, and, I, and it, it wound like that. And, uh, and then the high-tech stuff most of us had were those push-button phones. Okay, here's, here's the point. Who can forget the slinky cord that keeps you in one place Talking to someone really far away, but you can only walk six feet. So uh, when you want to talk to someone, here's the point. You have to go to this home phone to communicate with that person. And then um, in the 2000s, really this cell phone thing picked up. And then June 29, 2007, Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone, which quickly took over the BlackBerry, bypassed it, and smartphones were off to the races. So now, in 2024, there are approximately, the stats are in, 7 billion smartphones are in the world. 85% of the world's 8 billion people have a smartphone. How many of you have a smartphone with you? Can you hold it up if you have a smartphone with you? I want to see an ocean of, of smartphones right now. Let's, so this is just fun. Now, now we know, you guys know how many of us will be participating in our digital fast for Lent now. <laughs> now, we, now we know 
So, um, and more info on the digital fast later. Don't worry about it. We'll talk about it in, in social media posts and in announcements in the coming week. So, so seriously, I want us to see that dynamic, that dynamic. The beauty of this, you can now communicate with people wherever you are. You can communicate with people. And some of you might be like, that is not beauty, that is a pain. Uh, I can be communicated to wherever I'm at. I don't want to be reachable. But the point is, no longer do you have to walk over to the push-button phone on the wall with a slinky cord, because now that ability goes with you wherever you are. Okay, so that's the norm today. Now, I, you guys might be picking up what I'm putting down with respect to Acts. Uh, this is a helpful metaphor, because in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes and creates a shift that's infinitely more tectonic than home phone to smartphone shift. This is, this is the Holy Spirit shifting the location of God's presence in the world. Okay, it's not just a physical temple you have to go to in order to connect with the personal presence of God, now he exists in his organic temple of humans, the church all over the world, and his presence with you is with you wherever you go. This is, this is huge, the shift. And we're witnessing the moment in Acts 2. This is the moment of the shift. This is the unveiling of the, the whole new way of doing things in the kingdom of God. And when we see this, we realize as the church today, we have the same source of power flowing in our midst in 2024. The same source of power that raised Jesus from the dead and empowered the early church and filled the Old Testament temple with fire and wind. It's the same powers right here with us individually and as a community wherever we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. This is significant, you guys. So that's what we're seeing. Here it is, Acts 2, starting in verse 1. Ignore my typo. It's Acts 2, verse 1. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now right away we have questions. Who's the they? Who's all together in one place here? If you didn't get a chance to hear the teaching last week from chapter one, please go back and listen. It's essential to this teaching, this series. But to sum up, the they in this verse is about 120 people. It's the community Jesus built while he was on the earth. He personally taught them both before and after his resurrection. These were his apprentices. People who pledged full allegiance to Jesus as king, women and men together, equally equipped by Jesus to go carry his mission forward after he left. So that's who. Now why? Why were they gathered? Because they were obeying Jesus. Here's chapter 1, verses 4 and 8. Remember the command he said back in the last chapter. Next slide. Thanks for fixing that typo on the fly. Good job, guys. So do not leave Jerusalem. Here's the command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift. What gift? The Holy Spirit from the Father. And why? Because the Holy Spirit will give power. Power to, for what? To be my witnesses, Jesus says. To literally tell the world about the Jesus stuff. Jesus is God and he lived and he died for sin and he rose from the dead and all of that and he's reigning and then do the stuff he did, the kingdom stuff Jesus stood for. So they're waiting for the gift and as they wait, the day comes, the day of Pentecost. So now what's the day of Pentecost? Simply put, the day of Pentecost was this ancient Jewish holiday that happened 50 Pente, 50 days after Passover, thus the name Pentecost. And it was like a harvest festival. They celebrated all the great harvest. 
And now here's the relevant thing about the day of Pentecost for today's teaching. Here it is. Everyone who was Jewish, not just ethnically, but ideologically Jewish, practicing Jews from all over the world, they were required, if they were able, to travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So whatever country you're from, whatever culture you've grown up in, whatever language you speak, whether you're amazingly fluent in both English and Spanish like Priscilla who read the text today and she read all those nations in perfect Spanish and, and, and I was blown away because I can't even do that in English. So if you're remotely Jewish, regardless of where you're from, you show up for Pentecost. You're required. Uh, to celebrate the harvest. So you can imagine on the day of Pentecost, Jerusalem would suddenly become very multicultural, wouldn't it? And multilingual, and even multi-ethnic, because of the converts to Jewish faith from those nations. Tons of, just a kaleidoscope of humanity in a beautiful way in Jerusalem. Diversity everywhere. So Pentecost comes, and now those 120 is Israelite, Galilean, monocultural Jew Christians, the first 120, they're waiting. They're waiting for the gift from the Father, just like Jesus told, to, told them to. And that's when things start happening. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the Holy Spirit showing up in style right now. Just fire and wind and other languages they didn't know. It's amazing. Flames, visual flames on every member of the community. The Holy Spirit's got style at this moment. I love it. So for some of you, though, this is raising questions you have questions about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have concerns about churches that emphasize the Holy Spirit too much or something. And, and others of you, you might say, <clears throat> I have hesitations. I'm cautious about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've experienced spiritual abuse at previous churches. Someone claimed to have a word from the Holy Spirit for you and it was not aligned with scripture or reality. <laughs> or God's character and it left a wound and now you're cautious and you're like, oh no, what's about to happen at Park Hill today? And maybe you're like, this is the part of Park Hill Church I'm least comfortable with. I love the teaching and the songs on Sunday and community, but those seek nights, those extended nights of worship and prayer and prophecy stuff, not so much. And listen, I 100% get it. Having grown up in a somewhat charismatic church movement, I get that. Maybe your experience was so painful, you actually have a traumatic reaction to the text of Acts 2 right now, which I just want to say is so tragic. And on behalf of the church, I am honestly so sorry about your experience, and I'm here to tell you, if you were hurt or wounded in the name of spiritual gifts or the Holy Spirit, then please know that was not the Holy Spirit. That was human failure. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of God's kingdom of power, I tell you this in the name of Jesus, do not let that wounding that you received push you away from the very source of healing you most need. The Spirit of God is ready to heal you today and to empower you today for a new season of trust 
and freedom in his presence. And so that's some of you maybe, and there's others of you, you're just happy charismatics. You're just here, you're like, bring it on. Sure, I've seen mistakes. I've seen people make mistakes, 100%. And I've seen amazing things God has done that can only be attributed to miraculous presence of God. And you're like, rushing wind, tongues of fire, bring it on today in this building. And and listen, I'm right there with you, 100%. And maybe you're here, maybe there's another group, you're like, "Uh, baggage, I have no baggage. Just teach me about the spirit, please. Like, I meet new Christians here all the time with zero history with Jesus stuff, and they're just some of my favorite people ever because they remind me what normal people outside the church feel when they come to Jesus in faith. It's like, hey, just tell me about Jesus. Blank page, ready, let's go. And that's really the posture I want to encourage all of us toward today. Here at Park Hill, we want to be spirit-led and open to the gift of the spirit while being deeply rooted in scripture, both word and spirit. So that's what God wants us to expect today. So can we all share that expectation today? Can we share that expectation? God's present in the room. The diverse family of Jesus is here and the king himself is here in the room ready to meet his people and pour his love and power into each of us. Individuals received individual tongues. He has power for you today to enjoy his presence and receive his power and be a mission to the world. So, okay, let's share that expectation. And then, so here, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. And in this text, Luke Luke gives us two different depictions of the Spirit. There's wind and fire. And both those images point back to the Old Testament. How the Bible's always talked about God's presence. Does anyone know the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for spirit? Go ahead and say it. You might spit on the person in front of you because it's ruach. Yeah. You, you hawk a loogie there where you say spirit, ruach. And, and it's the same word for breath and wind, actually. It's the same Old Testament word for all three things. So the, the Old Testament writers, they use this word ruach to talk about the personal presence of God in all kinds of situations. The first time this word shows up is in creation. Line two of the Bible, it says the breath, the wind, the spirit was hovering over the chaos before creation. It's like the Holy Spirit's on the edge of his seat, ready to bring beauty out of meaningless chaos. That's his heart for you. And then from that moment on, from creation on, we see the breath, the ruach of God always blowing, always bringing dead things to life and moving God's family from chaos to peace. And now in this particular story in Acts 2, the breath shows up in a big way. It says a violent way. It's like so loud. It's My kids went to Monster Jam or whatever last night with their friends. And there are two things they said were, number one, the engines were so loud I had to cover my ears. And number two, everyone was eating snacks. That was their two things. That was their commentary on the whole night. Uh, They wanted snacks. So it was like that, like the engine, and they they were in the upper, they were in the nosebleed seats at Snapdragon listening to these truck engines, and they still had to cover their ears. This violent sound. This is the sound of the Holy Spirit's wind. Luke's trying to tell us the Spirit of God is really glad to be here right now. 
creating beauty in his church family. It's so overwhelming. And the other image here is fire, the Holy Spirit showing up, not just in one place, not just in like the fireplace, but over every single person. Everyone gets fire. Everyone gets presence. This is another thing the Old Testament talks about a lot. There's moments where fire, God shows up in fire. His personal presence looks like fire in the imagery. And one of those moments is the first temple. Do you know the story of the first temple being built? It's fascinating. Look at this. It's uh, 2 Chronicles 7. King David's son Solomon builds it. And when it's built, just like we dedicated, just like he dedicated babies and parents, he dedicates this building. And he says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. What if we like, what if that happened after we prayed for like Xander up here? Just fire. Just burns. Yeah, so fire, fire from heaven consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest couldn't even enter because it was so f- on fire. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they just fell down kneeling, faces to the ground, worshiping. And what the, they didn't say, oh my God, we're gonna die, this is awful. The response, he's good. He's good. His love endures forever. This is why people would journey to the temple. This is why I got to get to that home phone in the kitchen hallway. I want to connect with this God. He is good. And his mercy endures forever. His love is eternal. Because that's the hot spot of his presence, this temple. So if you're living before Jesus and you were a God person and you wanted to worship God right, this, you would do this. And you, you would look just like them, face down. God's presence is good fire consume the temple fire now picture acts chapter 2 fast forward to the these 120 jewish christians the day of pentecost and all of a sudden each one gets fire individual flames over everyone's heads if you were a jew in that day observing the scene and you were able to see the fire all your dashboard lights would be going nuts You'd be like, wait, wind, fire? That only happens when God's personal presence shows up. And God's personal presence only shows up when there's right relationship. This is, all, this is a temple thing. Wind and fire over every person, it can only mean one thing. The temple building is not what it used to be. The temple building isn't the true hot spot anymore. Now the hot spot of God's presence is a community. Jesus followers have become the hot spot of God's presence in the world. Wherever people pledge allegiance to Jesus and wait on the Father and say, come Holy Spirit, that people in that moment become the hot spot of God's presence and God actually lives in those people the same way, even more so, more staggeringly so than he, than he did in the temple physically. So God's obviously not interested in being confined behind walls anymore. Now God is clearly more interested in bringing his presence to a community that pledges allegiance to Jesus and obeys his teachings with their lives. Do you know what this means? You, Park Hill Church, are the temple of the living God. You are God's house. This family, starting in Acts chapter two, this family, these actual people are God's dwelling. 
We don't go to the home phone anymore. Now there's 8 billion, well, 2.6 billion Christians in the world who pledge allegiance to Jesus in some way, connected to the gospel in some way, in some denomination or non-denomination somewhere. 2.6 billion people making up hotspots of God's personal presence all over the world. So I just want to point out that I've made several callbacks to a phone metaphor in this teaching. So uh, I don't know, I just felt like, that was, I felt like that was important to say. So the Holy Spirit comes. What's the first, what's the first thing? So the people, the people become the hotspot of, of God's presence. So what? So what? So we now have God. We can brag about it. We have fire. Look at my fire. So what? What's the point of being God's presence? It's just to gather on Sunday again and say, we're God's presence. What's the first thing the Holy Spirit does? Well, he gives the church the ability to speak in other tongues. It just means languages. Look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, speaking in tongues, not controversial at all today. Easy topic. Um, I've already given the disclaimer about Holy Spirit stuff. So, so all that aside, what is speaking in tongues? Real quick, here's where Christians all agree. Speaking in tongues is in the Bible, okay? We all agree with that. Number two, speaking in tongues is when the Holy Spirit empowers an individual to speak a language that he or she doesn't know. And then number three, everyone agrees, in the ch- all Christians agree, that these languages, these tongues, can include human languages the speaker doesn't know, and possibly non-human angelic holy languages that no one knows. And those are the two places in the scriptures that says that. Now the disagreements, very simply put, are about how that actually plays out today. And for the sake of time, we're not going to go there today. We did a two-part series in March of 2021, which you can access on the podcast. By the way, this week we figured out how to make our podcast available all the way back to 2019. So it's just a little box you had to click on our new server. We switched to Podbean. So now you can go all the way back to 2019, and you can go to March 2021 and hear our two-part teaching on tongues and prophecy. So go back and do that. Moving on. So what's going on with the tongues in this chapter? What's going on? Here it is. Verse 5 and 6. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, what sound? The other languages. Uh, The other languages. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So whatever is happening here, it is a full-on miraculous event. Whatever's happening, it's a miracle. And in our science-driven culture, this is hard to accept. But we don't know anything about this moment other than what's written. What would that have felt like? What were their expressions? As the Christians are speaking other languages, were they like worshiping eyes closed, just speaking other languages? Or were they like actually terrified, like trying to move away from their mouths? Like what, what were they doing? Were they laughing, overcome with joy? We don't know. We're tempted to project our own image on the story, but all we know is what it says. So I think it's safe to say, because the text says, it blew some minds. There were some minds that were blown. Look at the reactions from other people, starting in verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all, 
aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, which is actually a diss against Galileans from podunk armpit Israel country. Uh, They're not supposed to be educated. They're not supposed to know languages from like Persia and wherever, all the other places. So they're actually, this is a cultural slur. They're kind of dissing them. So aren't these just Galileans? And then verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears in our native language? And all those countries, look at all those countries. Look at all those places. This is a good chunk of the known world in that day. And look at verse 11. Both Jews and converts to Judaism. So there are people who are ethnically Jewish and people who are ethnically Gentile converted to Jewish faith celebrating Pentecost. And everyone's mind is blown at what the Holy Spirit has, has done in this moment. And then I like verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Uh, to which Peter responds next week, that's not even five o'clock, you know. Uh, basically. So, so, most people, so most people were utterly amazed, stunned. Why? I think it's obvious. They're hearing the wonders of God in their own language. Look at those. Again, this is amazing. On the first day of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit empowering the church, the very first move the Spirit makes is to compel Jesus' disciples to cross their own normal boundaries and speak languages they're unfamiliar with. Please get this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just help them preach an amazing sermon. He doesn't just help you read your own language better and preach to people that are just like you. The Holy Spirit doesn't help them minister to their own space, their own comfort group. No, the Spirit moves them toward people they never would have gone to. People who were different from them in the biggest ways. In order to declare the wonder of God in ways that those people could understand. Guys, that movement across cultures and beyond personal comfort zones for the gospel, that is the first move the Holy Spirit makes when he comes to birth the church. It's so significant for us today. I just want to say this, the idea of valuing diversity, equity, and inclusion, that idea did not originate with the American Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. It was brought to the center in some helpful ways, but it didn't start there. Diversity, equity, inclusion was not invented by some bureaucracy in a Department of State. Remember the big idea of Acts. Here it is again. The good news of the risen King Jesus leads to the formation of communities where individuals from various backgrounds are treated with equality as they pledge their allegiance to Jesus and live according to his teachings. So that movement toward justice with gospel and multicultural inclusion altogether, you guys, that's about as Christian of an idea as you can get. The first moment of the church's existence is committed to this. The Spirit could have made them do anything, It seems random to us that he made them just suddenly speak in other languages. That was priority one. There's all kinds of great stuff to do that are Christian things. This was the first. This was the first. Get out of our comfort zone and our clique groups and our places of kind of self-gratification for the sake of those we've written off. 
I mean, it's the first move of the Spirit on the first day of the church. And to really understand why this is so amazing, we have to actually end this sermon by going all the way to the beginning of the Bible, and it's the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 11. How many of you have heard the Tower of Babel? The Tower of Babel. If you've never heard this, get ready to blow your mind because if you have heard it, it still blows your mind. Every time I reflect on this, my mind is blown. Every time. It's incredible. Here's the story. Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language. So after, after the flood, all of humanity is in rebellion against God. And this is the, this is the, the base of their rebellion. This is the, the, the new low. The lowest low human, humanity got. Okay, they had one language and a common speech. As people moved east, they found a plane and settled there. They said, hey, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. That was the new high tech. And then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, for those of you who know Genesis, what is the problem with this? Problem number one is they're trying to make a name for themselves instead of God's name. But, but what's really going on here? If you know Genesis, if you know the earliest parts of the Bible, in Genesis 1, what is God's first command? What is God's first blessed command for all humans? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the whole earth. Go everywhere. Get creative. Be my diverse, spiritually unified family everywhere in the world. Diversify, not just bunch up in the same place, in your monoculture, with the same language. So what's happening here? This is all of humanity collectively giving the middle finger to God is what this is. This is all humanity in direct, flagrant disobedience to the God who created them. They're like, let's all be the same and lift up our own name, specifically to avoid scattering. Specifically, that's the reason. <laughs> Make a name for ourselves so that we don't do what God commanded in the beginning. And so the whole first 11 chapters of Genesis, they go to show us this spiral that we do. We do this spiral from Eden all the way to Babel, it's one miserable downward spiral where all humans cluster together in their empire of sameness and build a city for themselves to celebrate their name over God's name, their culture over God's culture. But God sees this rebellion. Look how he deals with it. I love verse 5. It says, but the Lord came down. That's a, that's a super diss against their high and mighty empire tower. It's like they build this giant tower. It's like, and then the Lord stooped way down to see their tower. That's on purpose. Uh, and the Lord said, uh, well, if it's one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, and nothing they plan to do will be possible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the world, whole world. For there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, it's fascinating, you guys, that he's now moving them to the direction he always wanted them to. This is actually a blessing in disguise. 
His discipline is actually a blessing in disguise. It says he scattered them. How did he scatter them? Notice it doesn't say he physically moved them around. He doesn't take one group and move them far to the north, like, okay, I'm moving you north, now you are Vikings. And like another group to the south, like, okay, I moved you south from Babel, now you are Africans. And another group to the east and all of that. He doesn't scatter them like that. No, what he does is he comes down and confuses their language. And all of a sudden, people don't have the ability to communicate with each other anymore. And it doesn't say this explicitly, but I think the cause and effect teaches this in the text. I think the implicit idea is by confusing all their languages, God allows their sudden diversity to be the force that divides and scatters them in groups across the earth. In other words, the potential for division was already there in their broken hearts. And God exposes that brokenness by just breaking down communication for a moment. And as soon as those language differences are in place, the truth really comes out. Humanity is not just bent against God, we're also bent against each other, deeply fragile. And so out of natural survival instinct, humans start forming tribes and breaking apart and spreading around the world. You guys, this, is, this shouldn't surprise you. This shouldn't be surprising. Right? There's nothing surprising about this. This is what we've always done. Fear of difference. Resistant to other cultures. We've always done this. We, here's the, the positive way of saying that is our comfort zone. That's a positive way of saying that. And so the events of Babel... As soon as languages change, people split up. That moment, that division where people go, oh, I can't understand you, I'm splitting from you. That's not surprising. That shouldn't astonish you. What should amaze you is not Babel, but Pentecost. It should amaze you. What happened at Pentecost should utterly amaze you. Look at this. Here's Pentecost compared to Babel. So in Babel, look, the Pentecost is actually the Holy Spirit reversing Babel. Babel starts in one place. It's Babel, and Pentecost starts in one place, Jerusalem. Babel, they're gathered against God. Pentecost, they're gathered to wait for God in obedience. And in Babel, everyone's the same culture. Yes, Pentecost, everyone's the same as they're waiting. They're all Jewish. They're all Galileans. But then look what happens. Because they're gathered against God in Babel, God confuses their language so they don't understand, and from there they're scattered over the earth. But at Pentecost... They're waiting for God, so God enables language so they will hear in their own language. And from there, God's family scatters to the ends of the earth with the gospel. This is the Holy Spirit reversing the natural human tendency of Babel in all of us. This is what is happening here. This is why it's amazing. This is why we're utterly amazed. Multiple times, utterly amazed. They heard the language. Utterly astonished. They heard that. How, how are they speaking? How, I feel so seen. I'm utterly amazed. People finding safety in their own culture, that's normal. That's not shocking. What is shocking is people hosting God's presence, and because they love God's presence so much, they're compelled by God's presence to cross their own comfort zones and culture barriers and national borders to declare the wonders of God to people that are totally different from them. And not just declare the wonders of God, but if they accept the wonders of God and they become family, you live as family now. 
Shocking stuff. That's the shocking stuff. This, my friends, is the point of the book of Acts. And, we're, and it, in the text, it's about language, but it's not just language, is it? There's people that speak perfectly your English language if you speak English, and yet feel they're from, you feel they're from Mars, right? Like this is MAGA people and Democrat people in 2024. Laying those identities aside at the table of Jesus to declare the wonderful works of God together to pale their political identities. What is that? That's shocking. That is shocking. That's evidence of the Spirit. That's Pentecost. Subverting natural survival mode. So this is the takeaway for us, not just politically, but who are your people that you have written off? Who are the groups of people that you're like, man, I can't even. That's the work the Holy Spirit longs to do in you and in me. And remember, we don't have to go to a physical home phone temple anymore to make it happen. God now has his personal presence available to all his kids to empower you for mission, to bring the gospel to people who might never otherwise, you might be caught dead with. Like, I wouldn't normally be caught dead with them. But the Holy Spirit has made us the forgiven and forgiving family of Jesus. And so the simple question for today, for all of us, three questions. How might the Holy Spirit be calling you to obey him today? Is there a person or maybe a group of people you've written off in your heart while God might be inviting you to involve them in your life for the sake of the gospel? And here's a statement with the third question. As a child of God, you have access to the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and empowered the first Christians for mission. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Today we're going to end by coming to the table once again, every week, come to the table. We're going to ask Jesus to empower us for mission the same way he empowered the first church. Notice this too. The disciples don't get to choose their language they get to speak. <laughs> that would be nice. They don't get to choose which languages. They don't choose who they get to do family with. They don't choose who they have to love, get to love. Uh, that choice is Jesus's. Their choice is obedience. And I say that in a culture where I know we want our own community groups and we want to make sure our friends are in our community groups and we want to make sure the people we want to be and the things are at where we are. And that's good. But the first Christians didn't get to choose what language they speak. The only choice they had was to obey Jesus and declare the wonderful works of God to whoever he brings in their lives. So in light of that, how is the Spirit challenging you today? Maybe just close your eyes and take a deep breath and invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate an area of your heart that his Pentecost fire might consume and empower and transform. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Reclaim our territorial hearts. Open us to those that we've othered. Grant us the power to obey and to speak the wonderful works of God in ways that we 
we're so uncomfortable with, we're just uncomfortable with. So we confess this to you. And at the same time, we believe you have the power to transform us and to send us with power. So Holy Spirit, come and do this today. So as uh, the team comes and leads the last few songs, uh, I want to create a moment where you can receive power. Just like the first disciples obeyed Jesus by waiting for the gift, I'd love to invite you to obey the same command and come forward as an act of waiting and let us pray for you that you'd receive the Holy Spirit for God's mission in your life. Whatever that looks like, you don't have to be specific at all. Just walking forward and receiving prayer on the sides is enough. But we'd love to pray for you. If you're a community leader in the room, come and pray. If you're a pastor in the room, come and pray on the sides. And all of us could obviously use this prayer, but you know who you are in this moment. Just, it's Holy Spirit, come. I need you for this. Fill me with your power. So feel free to come. We're gonna pray for you as we sing.